0: Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 91 with...
1: Joseph Makos and...
0: Joseph B. Avenue.
1: This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Alright everybody, we're back... For a new episode, we're rounding the turn to 100.
0: Getting close, getting and close. We are at 91. We're, we're
1: super excited, and we, we have a beautiful day here, mm. and we're up at the studio uh, on OC Haley, and we have a special guest with us, um, uh, an educator uh, from from New Orleans, poet, and has lived here his whole life, uh, aside from a little stint up in Fayetteville for grad school, um, and, but he's an editor. And he's a, a professor of poetry. Uh, like to have you here. Thanks for coming today this morning, uh, Ralph Adamo. Glad to be here. Good, to, good to talk to you. Yeah, it's nice to have you. So yeah, so we're um we've we've been we've been sort of chit chatting here in the pre-show, and and uh, you know we've uh we can retro, we can we can think about last year, maybe some poet friends that we've lost this last year, and think about sort of like you know. How we're moving ahead, and like, you got to go back to school in a couple weeks. and Joseph's got to go back to school in a couple weeks. Yeah. And, like, I bet y'all aren't, y'all aren't really looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, it's nice to have a break. And I guess, uh, is spring break and Mardi Gras the same time this year?
0: Almost. Well, they're never Gras, really early. the yeah. same time. Mardi Gras not until March this year. It's late. Yeah, it's pretty late. See, people keep telling me it's early. I, I can't, No, it's late. Yeah. I can't ever remember from you Early is like if Mardi Gras falls February be- between is the early. 15th, before the 15th of when, when it's in February. Like Mar- I mean, I guess it, it can be later than, than it is. is but... get a
2: spring break and a Mardi Gras.
0: Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Really, yeah. Right? It, it is. It's the best of both worlds. Yeah.
1: So uh, so aside from liking uh, we had a coffee conversation, we can talk about coffee for the next uh, <laughs> We all have
0: coffees. Well, we, we all have, have coffees. Mine. That's
1: kind of nice, yeah. <laughs> Where's
0: yours
1: from? I made mine at home. Oh. Yeah, I have this really nice ceramic craft that I make this um, <laughs> this uh, like a like a South American bean, uh, real nice uh, pour over kind of situation. Yeah, I like to take my time with my coffee, and I and you know I did this year. Well, I've been doing it for about a few weeks now. I cut out all cream and all sugar. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, don't I'm do drinking that all black. Sugar and
2: coffee is a terrible idea.
1: I'm, I'm drinking like black cream? now. Cream softens it a little it's, bit, you know. Yeah. But I'm drinking all black now lately. Yeah, it's been. No, I do the pour over too. I
2: I, uh, I uh, have a big kitchen spoon and i spoon the, the semi-boiling water over the grounds a spoonful at a time wow uh, my, my friend franz Heldner, the the painter saw me doing this about 40 years ago and he said oh that's the grandma method
1: the grandma <laughs> method wow well that's the method that everyone's charging four dollars a cup of coffee for in oh, the city was so.
2: smart cookie yeah yeah
1: because <laughs> you know it's like you get a regular cup of coffee in a shop and it's like a to 225 and the pour over is always like three 325 to more so the pour over but I have to say this about the pour over it does taste better it does sure I think it does sure the the, the aroma has
2: been
0: released I'm uh, I'm too lazy to do that I just do regular <laughs> I just do regular do I do French press, press. Yeah, yeah I like do that press, but it's easy you know I just yeah, pour it in there leave it four minutes boom you know totally yeah. <laughs> well, as long as it's coffee it's okay <laughs> so uh
1: yeah, I don't know. You're t- I, I I don't know. But, you know, I haven't I haven't found a good coffee shop to write in lately. You know, does anyone anyone uh, anyone finds like has a little zone that they like to write in?
0: Uh, you know, I don't I don't really write in coffee shops that much, but I do like to go sit outside and read read poetry. Outside. Um, it's nice to like sit outside. Yeah. But I have a hard. There's not too many places near me. I don't think. I try I try going to Mojos, but there's too much traffic for me. To really, <laughs> I was saying before, I, writing in coffee shops not
2: not for me has not been that successful. With reading and editing and sort of hanging out, uh, recharging. I mean, it's, they're, they're, it's, I'm glad there's so many of them. You know, I go from one to the other to the other, and uh, generally the people working there are, you know, sweet
1: people. Yeah, know, yeah, nice
2: people.
1: So I want to talk about this uh, the sentence on your bio because I'm really curious <laughs> to what to, I didn't
2: write this. Go
1: ahead. Oh, you didn't write that. Well, hey, that's 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 nice that you didn't write your own bio because most people write their own bio. Um, I just want to look at the the last set, the last line here where it says, "Adamo's poems seek the most elusive goal: truth as far as language can pursue it." Huh. And I'm curious about that because you're like, "Oh, wait, what is that?" You don't remember that, do you? <laughs> I don't know. Who wrote that.
0: Maybe,
1: maybe, hey, it's Hey, no. o- it's okay because the sentence the sentence gives you complete uh uh, uh you know well. Okay. You can answer for your poems. Is
2: what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I I say in poetry classes. I don't always get to teach poetry classes right now, but that's fine. I mean, I, I I have. Um. Well, we were talking about teaching earlier. I'm uh, the situation I'm in. I I actually uh, love teaching my composition classes. But they're fairly small. The students are good and eager and interesting people. You know, and I don't know. Just it. It feels good. Poetry is probably more fun to teach, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I say when I teach it, and, uh, you know, I say now write this down because this is you know because I think it's uh, an important thought is that uh, my kind of my definition of poetry is language that's trying to tell the truth, and uh, so much language is you know isn't even. Not only isn't telling the truth, but isn't trying. I mean, the language of advertising, the language mostly of politics, Hard. the language of a lot of the language just of, of normal. Actively trying to
0: trick you rather than tell yeah. the truth. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, it's just, you know, language is so uh, so essential and then, you know, comes in so many forms and is so abused and distorted and stuff that, that for me, poetry has to be. I mean, when I say tell the truth, I don't mean, you know, making a statement, I don't mean making a, you know, like making a point or a political point or anything, I mean just trying to be, um, to be as, uh, see, the the word true is the problem, I think. Wallace Stevens has a poem, Man on the Dump, which ends, uh, where was it one first heard of the truth, the, the, and, you know, that's kind of where, I mean, when you start talking about truth, you're in a really murky area. But that's what I think, you know, that's one of the fundamental, for me, definitions of poetry. And all, all the great poems that I, that I love, anyway, are doing that, I think. You know, you read uh, Wallace Stevens, you read Rilke, you read Yeats, you read uh, uh, all the poets that we sort of have agreed are great. And that's <laughs> one of the things they have in common is this sort of, they are trying to, in their language, they're trying to be truthful. Uh, that's, you know, not
1: that much fun. Let's do something else.
0: <laughs> no, well, it's... I, yeah, I, I also no, like no, poems no. that are fun, too. Yeah. Well, but, No, no, but no. It can be is truth truth fun to. is a kind of truth. Yeah. Right? I think of
1: the poem and idea of things in order of Key West. You know, and yeah. I think of, I think yeah. of, like, the... Or, like, 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackboard. Cons- considering you're saying, like, Stevens, right? Because I love Stevens. Stevens, yeah, me for too. me, is, like... I put Stevens, like, uh, for me, on a pedestal. Actually... And how he... Even though he's a, modern, he's a modernist, Right? He sort of he still has this sort of practical surrealism going on in his work absolutely yeah it's a pr- but it, but does that yeah. make sense the practical surrealism yeah. because he, because it's like it's resting on profitable ambiguities yeah right and that's where it comes through in the truth of it meaning like he's not working in far in in a uh in in a in, uh, in kitsch or a, or some sort of aesthetic forefront it's 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 Almost trying to look at the thing from so many different angles to establish the center of truth.
2: Yeah. Okay. you
1: know, like a Venn diagram. Thirteen ways of looking at a blackbird in a Venn diagram, and, you
2: know, and then that
1: little center, we see the blackbird.
2: Kind of analytical surrealism in a way, but yeah, no, I think what you said is right. I there's a poem. Um, I wish I could. I don't have it with me, but and uh, um, I can't think
1: of the name right now. So never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, but okay. So analytical surrealism. I wow. like that. Where it's like where it's like um, it's not creating a uh, a um, a a random inference, but it's using what's there and present yeah. back on itself in a way. Do you?
2: A- 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 Esthétique de Mall was is the name of the poem. It's a fairly long poem. But, uh, oh,
1: it's quite wonderful. You should look it up. Is it Stevens' poem? Yeah, we can maybe pull that up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But no, but I like that idea. I like that especially like thinking about it with teaching writing because I always find most people come to writing thinking about it as some way to communicate, which loses some some aspect of what writing is because communication, the way we communicate all the time, like you're saying, is a lot of our communication is not really Getting something across with someone, but manipulating
2: yeah. them in some way. There's right? all sorts of uses for language.
0: Yeah, and, uh, I, I, you know, I agree that it's
2: not. I mean, you know, another thing that I think most people say in poetry classes or in writing classes is, you know, if you want to, if you want to get a message across, you know, write an editorial. Yeah. Uh, you know, write a write a speech or something like that. It's not. It's not so much about um, linear communication as as absorption of of thoughts and feelings and ideas that the language somehow contains uh this is i I grapple with this when i try to think about it and I, i don't have a really articulate way but but when i look at say frank stanford's poems i was having this conversation with a young fan of stanford's not too long ago and and you know i'll read the same poem that i've read maybe 10 times 20 times 30 times out loud when i'm reading it out loud when I get to certain points, I choke up, I really have this emotional reaction to not, not so much the ideas but the, the language itself and you know somehow he is I mean that's that to me that's the mark of a great poet that that somehow he he or she leaves behind language that uh, that causes you to have a reaction to it, even if you don't want to or, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or already know it's coming, you know and think, oh no, I don't have to have that reaction.
0: <laughs> Um, and he, you know, he's got a lot of poems like that. So do other poets, I mean, you, know. you have that with you. Do we want to read a Frank Stanford? Maybe. Yeah, I wonder if I'm going to have that reaction. <laughs> you
1: know, oh, that's that's the book. That's the.
0: This is the collected. God, movie. that's
1: the Copper Canyon. Put out. I movie. need to get that. I you mean, y'all have that over, I, and that was so good. Man. Yeah, I
0: mean, I bought it again after we did that episode before because I didn't have that collected, and you know, my my habit is to bike down to the fly and Sit by the river and read a lot, and he's particularly good for that because y- you get all that nice southern flora and fauna imagery in his poems while you're sitting amongst it, which is nice.
2: <laughs> well, he's a he's, he's very much a, a, a Mississippi River poet in a lot of ways, I and mean, he he grew up, you know, famously uh, in the levee camps. His father was a yeah, a levee builder, and so they would be out, out on the levee building the levee, and he, you know, I guess in summers he spent, Uh, you know, days and nights out there with the, a lot of the poems actually are are kind of about that, but, um, uh, I love the titles, Home Movies of Those Who Are Dead Now, uh, The Boy Who Shot Weathercocks, More uh. Knew it was love, felt it was glory. Uh, the angel of death. Um,
0: we to, know we're kind of picking this uh, it's going to take one picking this offhand, so it's all right if you don't find the perfect one.
2: Uh, well, it's one <laughs> I was thinking of when I said that. I'd, I'd like to see if... I uh, see if you can find it, <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is a great book, and it brings together... Uh, the six books that he published in his lifetime and then a the couple of posthumous books you and, and crib death which were published basically after and then you know a whole bunch of poems that were never published um all right well this isn't this isn't the one i was saying you're going to go ahead and read this and this is called between love and death and, it, and these are i guess you know most poets have uh, a few uh, some critics maybe call themes, uh, I think poets would call them concerns, more, than, <laughs> because that's like a more accurate term. And two of Frank Stanford's obviously are both uh, are love and death. And so here's a poem called Between Love and Death. I watched the woman in the room. She moved in her misery like a pine in the wind. I could hear the woman sweeping her floor, boiling roots and drinking milk. I could watch the woman turning the tap of her bath through the hole in the wall. On the summer nights, I whistled, wanting her to hear me. She would look my way sometimes, with an apple core in her mouth. Working late, overhauling her truck, she would drink coffee and hum, go to sleep with grease on her fingers. God, I was crazy for not going to her door, tapping on her window, following her to the river, where her dory grew wet like the moon. A bird, sick of its tree, and despair. Leaves without wind, I lay damp and quiet on the earth. She bled through the walls into my side of the house, and they came with their lights, asking, Did I know the woman? And I said, No, not I.
0: <laughs> mm. <sighs> but where the doorway grew wet like the, the, the moon. The dory. The dory. Or the dory. It's That's...
2: So many of his poems too are are uh, kind of little stories like that, but they're not really, you know, they're 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 implied narratives, you know.
0: And, you yeah. Know,
2: that one's a little more has a little more narrative
0: structure than most, but. Uh, um, yeah. Well, and that one's kind of almost like a. It is a specific story, but it's almost a metaphor for how relationships always work at the same time.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's I mean, when you, if you read it, you know, enough and look at it enough, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of information there for a poem that only takes up part of a page. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not just information about what's happening, but information about, particularly about the speaker about the, you know, how, how he's, uh, how he's uh, trying to live. Um, One of the things I did that I'm really happy about, back in the the, uh, 90s, a few years after uh, Everett Maddox died here in 1989, great poet, and he had had a dry spell for a lot of the 80s, a lot of us did, I think. (laughs) I I blame Reagan, but that's it. And... um, but he had started writing again in the late eighties and he left behind when he died. He left, uh, at this point he's essentially home. Well, he is homeless and, uh, and he would, uh, write poems, not at a coffee shop, but at a bar.
0: In yeah, yeah.
2: And, uh, and he would, uh, write them on whatever piece of paper was handy, which is the back of posters and bar gear coasters and stuff like that. And, and Hank Staples, who, uh, still, I think, still owns the Maple Leaf uh, and lived upstairs would, uh, you know, Everett would give him what he had written and Hank would go upstairs and put it in a paper bag and keep it because he didn't have any place to keep stuff. And uh, anyway, we got to, a few of us, John Travis, the publisher of Portals Press, which published this book, uh, American Waste. We got to looking at uh, what he had left behind after a few years and several of us got together and, and... Basically, just put it in an in, in order, and and wound up using, I would say, ninety five percent of what was in that paper bag. <laughs> and uh, uh the last poem in the book is one that I keep coming back to, and, it, and for me, it has that, again that kind of the, the the power in the words themselves to make you feel something. That's you know, uh, he was a great fan. Maddox was a great fan of Mark Twain. Of Huckleberry Finn, in particular, of course, and uh, and he was also uh, at this point his custom was to fall asleep wherever he could, and frequently that was in a, on a bench in a bar. Or um, at that time, there was a bar across the street from the Maple Leaf called Muddy Waters, and uh, it had been what had it been? It had been several other places. It had been Jeds and several other bars, and then Muddy Waters. I think now it's something completely different, but... Anyway, so he was there. Uh, this is called Flowing on the Bench. Bench is where he's asleep. It's very short. As I And it's the last poem in American Waste. As I was going to sleep on the iron bench in the back of the bar, I felt, I felt all right. Me. I felt I was joining something. Not the Kiwanis Club, no. I felt like one river joining another... I felt like the Mississippi flowing into the Ohio, right where Jim and I passed Cairo in the fog,
1: right where the book got good. <laughs> 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, that's like a little bar Yeah, <laughs> Barnap can, I mean, well, we, can, we could go on and on about Everett Maddox. I think that did might you, require did, its you, own... You're only too young to have known him, yes? Didn't know. No, yeah. Know, yeah. known of him since the first time I so ever stepped in the Maple Leaf. So League, many man. people,
2: I think, here that feel like they know him who never had the chance to meet him, which is pretty interesting. That's, again, that's the power of his words, you know, his language. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. You were...
1: No, just, uh, I think that's an interesting, you know, like, uh, idea of this, um, this poet who's, uh, sort of just writing his... They're not really... They're, they're more than drunken ramblings, you know? Oh, they're like they're these, more. like, acute these sort of acute observations of self and, and, and uh, real personal, real internal, you know, type of, type of, uh, type of work. And uh, the fact that like a stack of bar, bar napkin and, and coaster type of poetry survives and becomes a collection, I think is a real cool thing, you know? Um, he, you know, he wasn't, I mean, he, he
2: had started out when he was uh, you know a young poet and when he was in graduate school, he had started out, Almost uh, I would say as a formalist or certainly adhering to form to trying to be in that tradition so and he was in a lot of his uh, a lot of his poems but these poems are different and they're not what you said they're not as you said they're not like drunken ramblings they're not uh, I don't think Everett was really ever drunk I think he just drank it's a difference you know <laughs> steadily drank but was not a, a drunken person but anyway uh, but so many of these poems are are about uh, uh, misunderstandings in language. They're really funny. There are a lot of really funny poems in this book and, uh, and a lot of them are about friends and friendship uh, and you know he at this point in his life he really is depending on a lot of people to you know let him stay where he is or maybe help him get food or, and, and he's hes conscious of it. Uh, he uh, there's, there's at least two or three in here about friendship um, this one's called Encore, Here's to My Friends. Should I read it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, encore, Here's to My Friends. Here's to falling off a log. Here's to falling over the dog. Here's to falling asleep. Here's to falling out of bed. Here's to falling to hell in a hand cart, whatever that means. Here's to falling from the sky in a fiery fiat. Here's to falling to your doom out of a shoddy funicular. Here's to falling... In or out of love, here's to love. Here's to falling off the shelf, the ledge, the roof, the porch, the wagon. Here's to falling off a barstool like Lionel Johnson or Lionel Hampton or whoever it was. Looky here, it's Susie's shoes she done kicked off in a moment of unimpairment. Here's to falling rain, stars, nights, stocks, grades, panties, arches, London Bridge. Here's to falling off the dollar bill like Billy Cannon. Here's to falling out of a cannon like
0: the falling zucchinis. That's a great uh, little list poem. Yeah, it's wonderful. I didn't remember that one. There's,
2: a, there's another one where he talks about his, much shorter, where he talks about his, his friends. And he, sees, he says, my friends, are, my friends are the Mike Tysons of friendships. Uh, and they can whip your ass.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, so, uh, uh, it's like, I know you're, I know you do, uh, you edit the Xavier Review, and, um, you know, if you if you've never really edited a collection or edited a um, a magazine or anything, like you really don't know what goes into it. You know, uh, there's there's a lot of work yeah, behind that. You know, yeah. um, and I know I know that you've done that for a number of years. Yeah. Um, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about that? I I I'm curious about that yeah, and how you. Process. Yeah, sure. Uh,
2: I mean, I edited in in the '90s. I edited uh, New Orleans Review for five or six years, and uh, I had done a little editing before that, but that was really my.
1: You know, and that—that's the Loyola one. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Loyola.
2: It was uh, two or three times a year. It was supposed to be four, but I'm not sure. I ever made it to four. But, uh, <laughs> that's a lot. There's a lot of work. Um, but uh, you know, Xavier Z- review is is uh, really you know it's part of the, my job, and and so you know, that, but uh, uh, the editing process. <laughs> Well, you know, people send you stuff, and you make decisions about whether you think you want to publish it and make it a sort of, you know, immortalize it or or not. And the uh, obviously you have the option, and and I, you know, I use it when I when I can of of asking people for things. Like the very first issue I edited, um, there have been several really wonderful editors of the magazine. I'm the fourth. Uh, Tom Bonner did it. Richard Collins did it. Uh, Nicole Green did it, and and then passed it on to me about five years ago. In the first issue I edited, uh, I reached out to uh, Nancy Lemon, whose novels I think are really wonderful and, and very funny, and particularly the first couple. Do you know do you know her work? Uh, no. Lives of the Saints. Uh,
0: okay. Somewhere.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, it was that was that was the first novel, and it's probably still the one she's best known for. Um, um, Sportsman's Paradise is the is the other one, which is really hilarious. But um, anyway, I, I knew she was working on a, a novel, and uh, so I asked I asked her if she had, if I could have a piece of it, and, and so that was yeah. part of that first issue I edited So said so. First issue I edited of Xavier Review of a New Orleans Review in the nineties, I had found out from one of my old teachers, Miller Williams, that uh, he was working with Jimmy Carter because Jimmy Carter was trying to learn how to write poetry seriously. <laughs> he reached out to Miller, who he knew, I don't know how he knew him exactly, but um, Miller had been, uh, when Bill Clinton was uh, first inaugurated, he was the inaugural poet for that for that inauguration, although I don't think it was televised, so people didn't see you know, him. <laughs> it wasn't like Robert Frost in The Glare. do
0: you know what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, like yeah. Everybody <laughs> knows that,
2: that moment. Um, so that may be how how Jimmy Carter sort of learned about Miller was. Anyway, and Miller said, uh, "You know, I'm working with Jimmy Carter, and he's got these poems. And uh, are you interested in any of them?" And I said, "Yes." So we, the first issue of New Orleans Review I edited, had,
1: had a big spread of Jim Jimmy Carter's poems. <laughs> really, <That's funny. laughs> we're talking Jimmy Carter, the former president of the United States. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, just making sure there's not another he, Jimmy Carter that I don't know about. No, no. He,
2: he then he, <laughs> he since then has published at least one, maybe two books of poems. And you know, he's not the greatest poet of the 20th century, but he's not bad. he's, uh, he's essentially a in a, in a kind of, much more than Frank Stanford or, or Everett Max in a southern
1: narrative tradition, you know, storytelling tradition mm-hmm. that, in his poems. That might, have to, that might have to be another episode down the line. Pre- <laughs> president poets. <laughs> There's not very many of them. Uh, yeah, other um,
2: countries, you know, Mao Zedong, uh, Ho Chi Minh, uh, in, uh, in El Salvador, uh, what's his name? I think. All uh, fairly serious poets. Uh, in America, it's pretty unusual. Gene McCarthy, I think, started writing poetry, but he never got to be
1: president. Link, Link, Lincoln was a poet? Did he? Well, I have an article in...
2: Lincoln was a master of language. He really was. I didn't I, know that he wrote
1: poetry. So I have an article that I could probably find at some point up, up in the stacks right here that I know I've seen like in the last week or two. That's all about Lincoln as a young poet. As really? a young man, he wrote he wrote a whole collection. And not only that... There's an image of a manuscript in this article like that shows his poetry and has a few poems.
2: I don't think I've ever seen any. I, I bet he was a, a, a poet of his time, which would have meant that he was a, a, a woodsy romantic, probably. Yeah. He was no yes. Whitman, let's
1: say that. But, uh... <laughs> no, no. no nobody,
2: nobody has been Whitman since... Maybe Neruda, but... Uh...
1: Maybe will get. Into but first. since you
2: mentioned Whitman, you know this story: you laid, that Whitman, uh, uh, during the Civil War, lived part of uh, a couple of years in uh, in DC, and uh, you know, nursing yeah. wounded soldiers and stuff like this, and basically living rough right across from the White House. And I'm trying to remember now if I made this up or if I read this. But <laughs> either way, let me go ahead and say it. Uh, pretty sure I read it that uh, that there's some evidence that two or three times. Uh, Whitman crossed the street and went to the White House and sat with Lincoln for some period of time and just chatted, which is a, a fascinating idea.
0: Well, I hope that's I, true I, and not something you made up. But. <laughs> I think it
2: is true. And then and then uh, there's the, the kind of evidence that uh, after Lincoln would have, would, and he, we know he, he, he had a copy and uh, was aware of Leaves of Grass, which, you know, this is Whitman's book. He starts publishing it, you know, 10 or 12 years earlier and he publishes he keeps republishing Successive it versions, and, adding, yeah, right, yeah. and adding poems <laughs> to it so uh, Lincoln would have seen whatever the 1862 version of Leaves of Grass uh, but there's evidence that that Lincoln's uh, own language, his own rhetoric changes uh, like when, when we get to the Gettysburg Address that, that the Gettysburg Address a lot of people see it influenced by the Old Testament which it clearly is
1: but also apparently by Whitman. I, I'm so interested in this idea that Whitman and Matt Lincoln, that that's like...
2: Well, I'm pretty sure they did. I, I, I
0: don't think I'm yeah,
1: We it have up. to look I into that. Not. That's that's like that's like the meeting of... What was the other one? It's like, yeah, but of
0: course there's... Strange meetings yeah. of
1: poets and prisons.
0: But of course there's an intersection of Whitman's poetry in the Old Testament, so... Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah,
2: Whitman is, of course, he, con- yeah, very conscious of
0: uh, yeah. King James.
2: Yeah, so in a way, he's. If Lincoln is being influenced by that, it's kind of like a, a mutual layered, a influence. influence.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. No, I mean, that's
2: neat. I'll have to look for what you said. I I don't think I've ever seen a poem by
1: Lincoln. And and I'm gonna pull this. And when I when I pull it, I'll send you. I'll take a photograph of it or scan it and send it over because it's really fascinating. Good, it's a really fascinating stuff. We we'll
0: We've been planning to do an episode involving that for a while, but a little research needs to happen. Well, you know what would be yeah. cool?
1: I think it would be cool to do an episode where we but maybe focus on the lincoln and credence to this whitman lincoln re- uh, thing and then we can talk about Connected other a, other yeah. poet yeah. presidents you know cuz i feel like there have been a few i don't think so not Car- here
0: carter, no but carter you have carter you have so lincoln maybe we can carter, expand that I, I feel like that concept, i feel like there's,
1: like there's got to be somebody else no, no, think of all the people who've been presidents come on i'm going to i'm going to you know i'm going to yeah. do you i going to do <laughs> i'm going <laughs> reach to out, reach out to my resident presidential scholar david johnson who's the editor of you know the the noma now the noma magazine and he's an aficionado on, on presidential history. Okay, I'm just gonna. I'll query him. Maybe we can have him for the show. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there, there were okay. other.
2: Uh, there were other presidents who were, you know, who were good with language. Teddy Roosevelt comes
1: to mind, you know. But I don't think in, in
2: of course poetry too. Yeah, in, I mean, uh,
0: you
1: know, I know, some of the early. Guys. It'll be a dig. But I don't think. There's, we I don't think there's we any, will find out we'll, we'll find out. we'll find out. We'll come up with something. We... But but it is.
2: <laughs> but, but I think it has something to do with American, you know, the American political, you know. Uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know what the word is, but anyway, atmosphere or, or, but, uh, but in other countries, it isn't that odd or or rare for people who are in political life to be also poets. Um, Yeah. And particularly in revolutionary countries, revolutionary situations. But I don't think there's any founding father that I know of that of ours in our revolutionary situation that, that wrote poetry, maybe some of the soldiers.
0: Maybe, yeah. Of the generals. But part of that, too, is right. I think there's this part of the American ethic of seeing poetry as frivolous, frivolous or something, right? you know. It's, a, it's
2: such a shame.
0: So I if mean, you're the, practical, you're not going to waste your time doing poetry or well, something, you know. <laughs> I got
2: to, to meet Yevtushinko. He was here. And uh, when I was teaching Loyalist, so it was in the 90s, he was already pretty much past his writing, you know, his great writing. Or his, his, and, and he was, uh, you know, drinking a lot. But, um, who wasn't? But uh, <laughs> you know, Yevtushenko in his in his prime could fill you know a fifty thousand seat stadium in the Soviet Union. No, uh, not people who were coerced to going to hear poetry, but they wanted to hear
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Imagine
2: here, you know, who could who could fill? Nobody could. Nobody.
0: Or or, no, nobody. or,
2: or in in uh, wow uh, in Ireland, uh, you know that's that's you know in Ireland. Supposedly, I've never been, but in Ireland, you know, the sort of man on the street can
0: recite just, something. Yeah, just they have something memorized. Some, have some uh, Yeats, yeah. some, <laughs> some, some,
1: uh, you know, whoever. Several <laughs> chapters of Ulysses? Well, maybe not that. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know,
2: but just this, the, but the, what you said—the place of poetry in this culture—is it's it's a shame that it's considered. I mean, it's it, it's a life changing thing. You all know this. I mean, you know, to to. To really experience uh, a great poem is to be changed, and and if you're not, it's probably not a great poem. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, do you do you see uh, do you have moments where you like are teaching this type of work, uh, whether it's not whether it's directly a class on poetry or. Maybe you can bring poetry into other courses, you know. Oh, yeah. um, do you see these light bulbs going on for your students over there at Some Yeah, sometimes. I, again, I don't
2: haven't had that many opportunities at Savior because I'm teaching different stuff. I'm teaching composition yeah, or literature. Uh, but I did see that quite a bit, I think, at Loyola where I kind of took over the, the creative writing for a few years and, and taught a lot of poetry classes, including uh, like a, really, for me, you know, one of the, Class, best classes I ever taught. It was uh, essentially modern poetry, and I used uh, the Norton and I used the, uh, the poems of the Millennium, which is kind of oh yeah, yeah. It's, of the poetry. Joris yeah. Rothenberg. Yeah, the first ben. the first volume. That is such a great Fantastic. book. Fantastic. Really, it's a good book. I, I, I give that book to anybody I can because I, I think, especially if you, it's great to know the Norton. The Norton is you know it's it's a lot of the canon. It is the canon, but uh, but that book is. The poems from the women. not as not as wild about the second or third.
1: The Romantics. though they do a third? Is the Romantics? I think they've. Well, or is no, it a fourth? That might be that another, might be son, another you know, one.
2: Man, the, the second one uh, isn't bad, but it's it, it actually goes you know into the second half of the twentieth century. Right. And and they missed some people, like they missed Frank Stanford, for instance.
1: And then there's a third. I didn't know there was a third. I think there is a
2: third. Wow. I'm not 100 sure. You know, another great book, really great book, is uh, Carolyn Forche's. Um, who is a, a wonderful poet, I think, but uh, she has an anthology called uh, Against Forgetting, subtitle Poetry of Witness, hmm. and uh, it's, it divides that. the 20th century into uh, wars, persecutions, uh, genocides, uh, social uh, social movements, hmm. uh, and there are poems from about 40 or 50 different countries and languages, obviously a big section on World War II and a big section on... Uh, you know, South Africa, a big section, of uh, Eastern Europe, and, but um, and some really familiar poets, and then big, and some that you would never have heard of. I would never have heard of without this anthology, you know. Um, and I've used that a few in a few classes at Loyola and Xavier to teach. And uh, yeah, there is. Back to your question, there is that light bulb moment, and when you see it in a student, it's really exciting. It's like you know, you know that they are going to be different from now on their lives are going to something has changed in their lives and um teaching doesn't
1: always give you that (laughs) that's a rare
0: moment you know we were talking
1: about like um you know i was i was sort of like reading reading this you know reading the sketches and uh talking about um really trying to chase the connection like uh for for example like about that like faulkner's uh Entrance to New Orleans is through the double dealer because he got that poem published. In the oh yeah, deal. yeah, that's that's what began Faulkner's. He had a high school teacher who was really encouraging, you know, of of, of publishing and would encourage his students even after they left the high school to publish and, and work and work. And he had so he had this influential person in his life, and that was a really important figure. Yeah. Was this was this high school? And I had that too, yeah. like this high school. I oh, uh, did too or a, I even had like a middle school teacher who was very made us read books that were a little bit ahead of our our our, yeah. our, our time you yeah. know I mean we were like reading like Cat's Cradle and we were getting into mm-hmm. that in 7th and 8th grade and stuff I remember reading like Lord of the Rings in 8th grade you know mm-hmm. it's like a little bit ahead it's a p- close but it's like a little bit but Faulkner had this push 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 and then and then I think like or from this from this high school teacher I think and then, like, maybe as soon as he got his first poem published, it was, like, in, like, a like a southern newspaper. And then the next, the second poem was, like, in the double dealer. And there's nothing like seeing your work in paper, yeah. in writing, I think, that that's, like, that's, yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. You know, so you give, like, a young person opportunity to do, to get into a journal or get into a, something like that is, like, big. Yeah, well, I think know.
2: it is. But, but maybe even bigger is what you said before, the, the just the, uh, having a teacher who, opened your eyes to what's there, you know, to the, I mean, you can't, obviously, they can't show you everything, but if they give you a, a pathway into the literature, um, you no, know, I, I, I really admire, uh, K-12 teachers and, and the ones that
1: do it well are fucking heroes. I'm sorry. Say fucking you can say uh, whatever you want. Okay. We have, we have a rated, you, you okay. want to get, yeah, we have a, you know, X rating. on the Okay. Podcasting.
2: But, you know, I mean, uh, just, but I, I had I had a couple in high school that uh,
0: I think did that. I well, it's it, with poetry though. It seems especially hard because I think I think you more often find teachers who understand fiction, but to find the teacher who can ignite poetry. A lot of teachers don't is, like poetry, yeah,
2: and, and never really got it themselves. So they when they're forced to teach it, they do it a bad job, and that's that's a shame. But you no, know, I had I had a, this was a Jesuit uh, priest who was uh, really I think you know one of the people who influenced me to go in the direction I went just by his example but he was a great scholar and, and a, you know just a wonderful sort of intellect and and he taught poetry and he and he was very moved by the poems he read to us you know I could see that and and I asked him when and I had just started writing poetry myself when I was a freshman and I asked him one time if he uh, if he wrote poetry because I thought mm-hmm. surely he must write poetry. And he said, "Oh no, no, no! I can't, I can't write poetry." And I said, "But why?" Why? he said, "Because if I write, if I write one word that's not good, I, it's it's you became inarticulate. But basically, he was saying, <laughs> "I have to stop. My day is ruined. I can't go on." And that's how. Wow, I mean, somebody like that should write poetry, I guess, but uh, <laughs>
1: I think he probably didn't. Wow, talk about like paralysis from language—just yeah. paralysis from language, paralysis from respect
2: of the, language. Yeah, the yeah. consciousness <laughs> of what's possible, and then seeing what you've done that isn't yeah. perfect. To be, I think, to to write poetry, uh, either you have to be a great genius to begin with, or you have to have a tough skin. Yeah, because you're going to write a bad line. I mean, I, I realized later, thinking about what he had said, that uh, it was a shame he. About that, <laughs> because you're gonna, you know, that's why you revise. That's why, you, yeah, that's why yeah, you, that's what I was about to say. You like you just don't show, your show your people that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you, know, you write 50 <laughs> poems and you publish <laughs> three, you know,
1: so, um, or something like that. <laughs> no, I think there's something about that too. I think that the practice is important to keep up with practice and 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 and, and write things and just you know uh, put it out there and have it and then and then you go through and edit. I think that's like coming back to your Xavier, uh, review um, oh, yeah. stuff, it's like, you know, editing, editing is, 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 uh, is key. You know, they, they you get three, you get, th- that's why you get three poems, right? In a submission, you read, you pick the one that you like the most yeah. or pick two that you like that work together somehow fit on the page, you know, facing sure. each other or something. But, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that there's, um, there's, there's multiple steps to the, to that process, you know? And I think that, uh, That's the liberating thing, I think, is like is 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 uh, is revealing those steps to young young people, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: for them to understand
1: the purpose and intent about composition and then the the transition to editing and then and then and then the next step to publish. But I
0: like that story about your teacher because that I mean, it's a shame he didn't write poetry, but. That is the important part of revision, right? You almost need to feel like that, which probably involves a little bit of self-loathing for anyone to be able to decide what to keep and not to keep, right?
2: It's a painful, uh, the process you're describing is a painful process in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not, uh, it's no fun. (laughs) Um, Oh, well, it is fun. But it gets easier. Yeah, sort of
0: maybe. Uh, <laughs>
2: some people just have a gift uh, my friend Rodney Jones has published uh, 13 or 14 books now there isn't a single bad line or a single poem that isn't worth reading multiple times in any of his books I am constantly amazed by that uh, I mean
1: grass is always greener though
2: <laughs> well he's one of our great poets he really is you, you guys should talk to him he lives here now he retired here uh, Huh? So uh, okay. he's younger than me but he he retired here a few years ago, and uh, quite quite a good poet. Uh, this, this is this uh, is yeah, this is his selected
0: Salvation mm-hmm. Blues. No, this is
2: from about eight or nine years ago. Selected. He's published three books since then, so incredibly prolific, but but on on the mark every time.
1: A rare a rarity. Wow, well, there's also something in revision and editing there, where it, where it becomes like <laughs> yeah, where it yeah. becomes like. You know, if it's the hundred poems book here that you that we have here, uh, you know, or or like any any book, you know, maybe maybe somebody's writing, like Joseph said, like maybe you know, if you're really doing it right, maybe maybe you're maybe he's writing 125 poems, oh yeah, and distilling it down to like the best eight, 70, yeah. 60,
0: you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. You know, it, it, it's gotta be, it's got to be. Well, like, yeah. However you're doing it, people all work in different ways, but that that has to happen, right? This this whatever your revision method is to leave a lot of stuff behind <laughs> but on the
1: cutting table or you can just like you know your trunk full of your, all your childhood writings could just disappear, disappear <laughs> on a train in indiana or something like that happened to the hemingway yeah, yeah. yeah well he claims that they disappeared but you know it's like sometimes you just like he, he just didn't want anybody to see it that yeah that he, lo- he lost he lost he lost a laptop on the bus you know was, it's basically
2: what happened yeah, <laughs> like, i think he was famously uh cautious about uh anything that wasn't that he didn't you know, specified to be published. Canon. Yeah, he didn't want he didn't want yeah. his isolated other writings
1: to be exposed to. Uh, it's going to be curious in however many years when all those Salinger novels come out.
2: Yes, yeah, they, <laughs> if there
0: already. Maybe he just watched TV a lot. No, there are. We know this for sure. Yeah, yes. no, it's, it's yes. but I don't. Whether they get published is a whole nother. Is tied up in a lot of things.
2: Yeah, but. Yeah, the last thing he published was in nineteen sixty eight, right? The Something uh, like long that. thing in the New Yorker, Hapsburg, Hapsworth Habs, 19...
0: And how finished they are is another question because I don't know that he necessarily intended them to ever be published.
2: But yeah, what he was thinking is beyond. I don't really know, but uh, he was. I, I guess he was, he was really good. I mean, if you read, it's it not a much a better book of short stories than nine stories. Yeah, That's yeah, really just yeah. No, still, no, it's great. Still magnificent.
0: And I like Raise High the Roof Bean. Yeah. I like Gardeners it too. I like you, everything that yeah. he
2: published. Um, I like Franny and Zoe. I like, but yeah, Raise High the Roof Bean yeah. and see more in introduction. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Those glass kids. Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we can't, we can't let you leave today without reading some of your own poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you got this? You got you got a couple of books here that you have with you, right?
1: Uh, you have this one, which is a lavender ink thing that uh, 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 ever, which is ever, this yeah. uh, uh, yeah, two thousand two thousand fourteen right. collected lavender uh, ink. I should I should
2: say is just an extraordinary enterprise. I don't know how much y'all know about it. But I mean, Bill has put out uh, Bill Lavender has put out hundred books, I think, since he started it.
1: Probably more. Uh, yeah, probably probably I think I think more. his tenure when he was at UNO with the UNO Press, well, I think they UNO. put out 100 books a hundred no, books. No, no, County, count County, that. Yeah. wasn't several hundred. Just, talking, yeah, just, just Lavender, as, Inc. As Lavender Inc which is his own. I bet he's probably. coming up on a couple
2: hundred titles now. But the uh, and and the, the translation uh, things that he's published have been extraordinary,
0: really. I mean, he's he's won awards cool. for stuff, and you know, yeah. I mean, oh, and he, all, he, these, he, all these all these great people in translation you'd never be able to read otherwise, you know, which is wonderful.
2: No, i you know, and he's given so many uh, writers, particularly local writers, a sort of opportunity to be published. And, um, Don Young, and also, he just does such beautiful work. Uh, although, the, the, this is actually a painting by Jenny Stanford, who, uh, except for the titer, which is scrolled across, <laughs> of, uh, Frank Stanford's widow. Wow. They were divorced by then, but uh, I think, maybe not. Anyway, but she's a painter.
1: And uh, she let me use that. Um, yeah, what's this one? This is like this looks like a cool uh, this this, this would... letterpress cover or something. Uh, yeah, I, I it's pretty nice. John Travis
2: Portals Press did this. Uh, this is a selected from two
1: thousand two. I've never seen that.
2: And uh, well, you know, cool. Travis Portals Press is local, and uh, he's published some really wonderful books. And he, you know, he published Maddox. He's published Nancy Harris. He's published Julie Kane. He's published. Uh, Uh, a lot of a lot of people and um, not all local and when katrina came this was published in 2002 the problem with small press as you all are aware is is distribution you know (laughs) how how do you get it out there now with social media it's more possible to get you know to to be to spread the word about a book and to have it seen And, and in fact bill is really good about getting review copies out to places but uh, so John published this, and, you know, neither of us was particularly good at promoting, so we didn't, uh, especially. <laughs> but, uh, and then Katrina comes along, and, and uh, where John lived, John Travis lived, uh, flooded his, but he, it's we call it a basement, but it's a ground floor yeah. basement, like New Orleans style, uh, uh, flooded. And most of his stock was in that basement, yeah, no. and he had brought... A box of several things up to, to the kitchen, before he left, before they left the house, and everything that was in the basement, including I would say probably two thirds of
0: my water blind, water yeah.
2: blind, uh, were just turned into pulp immediately. So, so it's a rare book. So it's hard to find. It's hard you're to saying find. it's rare, but <laughs> but yet not valuable. So it's. A, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about a poem in this book. Uh, not too long ago, so I'm going to see if I can find it. me, uh, really it's a short thing. It's not... I'm not presenting it as a great poem or even the best thing in here, but for some reason it got stuck in my head. And I can't find it. Uh, okay, anyway, I'll look at the table of contents. Um, page 96. It's called the examination of conscience, which, if you grew up Catholic, you know it was a Catholic thing. You yes. Examine your conscience, and then you go to confession. <laughs> um, that's not that has nothing directly to do with the poem. But and this is something I wrote, I think, in the in the mid seventies, so it's pretty old. And uh, I remember <laughs> when I was more uh, more inclined to be sending things out a lot in those days to magazines. Uh, a very different process from now, where it's pretty easy, but I don't do it very much. Pretty easy because you can do it.
0: You don't have to you, you don't, don't have, have, to, have to send out physical stuff as no much. You no know? no yeah, no physical Some places stuff. still make you do the physical submissions, no, but there there's less no and many, less. Less no, and, and less. Yeah. As an
2: editor I'm I really much prefer getting things it's easier to do it digitally. yeah. You can you can do it all, you don't have to but anyway I sent this one out to a magazine and uh I got it was not only a rejection, but it was a hostile, angry rejection. Uh, <laughs> It was like, I think it was written by a woman editor. I don't really know for sure, but basically it was somebody who uh, has excoriated the correct word, me, for yeah, writing yeah. this poem. Yeah, yeah, Here it is. Examination of Contents. After I'm clubbed much in the head, I'm brought to the coffee break room and sat down at one of the red chairs and white tables, across from the bad skin and glasses of my banished lover, who this isn't. We're drinking something hot together, extremely left alone there in the fluorescence we're catching up on the past, which, despite her impressive briefing, we didn't share. Yes, I tell her I'm still not talking. I ask her what is new until she clouds up, and her big tears drop on the table. If we do it now, I know I'm going to be hard as time, and she tight as
0: money. <laughs> <laughs> why Why? Why did the Why did the editor take such a line the poem, there. Just the the last <laughs> line. Sexual innuendo. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I don't know. It <laughs> seems like you need to be oh, nah, okay with that if you're editing a magazine. Figure but... out editors. I don't know. <laughs> They're all crazy.
2: Um, so in, in Ever, uh, I had uh, two children, fairly, I mean, for a, you know, a, an American male, uh, my generation, fairly late in life. Um, one in 2001, one in 2003. <laughs> and um, you know, was more focused on raising children and finding income than writing. Yeah. So ever as poems written, it's about 80 pages written over about a 12- or 13-year period without much intentionality. That is, I, Sometimes I would find a poem I'd written that I was really not, didn't remember writing. Uh, but the first ones that I wrote that are in this collection, I really... I don't know. It was uh, it was around the time that uh, the Bush administration was getting ready to take us to war, and uh, I was just mad about a lot of things. And let me see if I can find it. And so the first the first poem of a sort of ten part poem called Solacisms, uh which I wrote, I think, in 2001, maybe or two. So it goes. It starts like this. Uh, so isn't. Although we have no right to hurt one another, this poem yanks you out of your chair with one hand and slaps you silly with the other. All the while saying, "See, it didn't have to come to this. We could have chosen justice over property, the heart's idea of what's right over the I- an idea, over the idea formed when two heads or more get together and make a plan. We could have all said all at once. But wait, there are people starving, and we have silos full of grain. Maybe if we'd all been naive, all at once, all together, we could have rolled." planet over on its back and tickled its belly till it yelled, okay, okay, stop. I'll confess, economics is a vast and complicated excuse for injustice. Pride makes fools of us all, and moreover, love really isn't that hard once you decide to tell the truth and hang on to it. And it goes on from there.
0: Sadly, uh, still very appropriate <laughs> today. <laughs> as much as it was then.
2: <laughs> and then, I'm, so I have, should I... Uh, sure, go
0: for it, go more. for it, yeah.
2: Um... So, these are kind of prose poems. They're not really the, the majority of what's in this book, which uh, I don't know what kind of characterize most of it. But, um, this was eight, and this was uh, my second child was born in uh, 2003. This is maybe a couple of months. I'm writing this maybe a month or two before that event. And it's uh, also just before the invasion of Iraq. We prefer to make war in winter, and time is passing, and such time will bring my daughter first, then war, or war first, and then my daughter. But either way, my daughter is born on a tide of war. She surely will take twelve years or more to hear of in any clear way, and then more, comp- more to comprehend. For we, she will know, are about killing, as even our dream assures us from last night, the guilt of the serial killer in every heart no matter how mild, the stationary airplane about to become plosive, touching the spires of the cathedral school, and all fall down. The moderns among us have an easy shrug for every moment that has gone before. I have no such shrug in me and could hardly bear to pretend any more that I do. Everything weighs its tonnage quite accurately, and the heart strains to sing its customary work song. some days when the tide pulls in more than one direction and too many poets or pointing the moon to the child and the child to the moon, for one earth to lie cozy again for a day, a night, a day again, and again a night. My daughter will be born in a spin of nightmare on a rock where the green grows perversely. She will herself be held to the to a cold moon, and talk to earnestly far into the night she will hold, if I am to continue this marvellous streak of luck, my finger nearly long enough for me to let And do I say go and do I mean I will not keep her from the horror we have hidden from this long? And in her marvelous life, will she wonder how, how could we have these things we do every day, this stuff we are keeping? <laughs> <laughs> so with the poems in this book, I, I kind of stopped um, worrying about revising so much and just kind of let it go, I think, particularly in those earlier ones for better or
0: worse. You know. It's a trade-off, right? Yeah, but that can be good to do sometimes. Yeah. Let go, let go of some of that. Yeah, let the, let the, you know, sometimes if you go back
1: to something so far that's so far in the past, it just doesn't seem like even revising it. I could never
2: have revised it. And in, yeah, I wrote that in 2003, and yeah, I'm putting the book together under Bill's sort of eye in 2013 or 14, and, yeah, I couldn't have, couldn't have changed any of it. I wouldn't have known what to do. So, But, you know, Auden, I always think Auden said, I used to think Auden said this, but apparently Auden was quoting, um, which French poet was he quoting? When he said, a uh, poem is never finished, it's just abandoned.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who is that? Who was, did uh, say that?
2: It was uh, it's uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, not Auden, but he did say it. Auden repeated repeated it. Repeated.
0: <laughs> in English. In English. In odd. English. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Translated <laughs> it. <laughs> right. yeah. so. That's an interesting thought. A, po- a poem is
2: a <laughs> Well, it's pretty true, I think. I mean, you know, there are some people who are really good at making something look as polished, as finished as it can. Well, but even yeah. but even there, I mean, Auden himself, you know, that wonderful poem, In Memory of WB8, which has three or four parts, and uh, uh, Auden, Near the End of His Life, uh, exc- excises uh, three or four stanzas from that poem. They were like my favorite stanzas in the poem.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: so I just, I use the old version.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He doesn't get to change my version. Uh, it's the one where he, uh, he says... Uh, Time that with the strange excuse pardons Kipling and his views and will pardon Paul Claudel pardons him for writing well. That's not in the final, <laughs> the final collection. He takes oh, the I, name dropping out. I guess yeah. Pardons pardon. for writing well. <laughs> Apparently, Claudel hit some you know collaboration or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean it's true, right? Abandon it before you overwork it.
2: Yes, I think that's. Yes, that's probably true. But well, there's it.
0: probably lots of places where you can abandon it. There's probably lots of different <laughs> spots where you could do that, and that is part of how people's style happens, I guess. Too. Yeah, I've
1: definitely gotten hung up on a poem like that, where it's like you you just like work it and work it and rework it and rework it and then shape and then reshape it, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, what happened? This is like a whole different poem than where I started, and you're like, oh, I should have left it three cards. Co- I should have left the three at its back. See, then
2: you you know you wait a few years and you circle back and you you, know, you find the thread again. Maybe
1: so. right. The best way to edit an essay is to put it, is to put it in your desk drawer for a week and then come sure, back yeah. to it. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Did you say that, or are you quoting? something? <laughs> uh, I think that idea. I think that idea has been there, <laughs> but I, I think I think that um, I think that, that that was instilled in me by a teacher yeah. who who um, and I, I professed that with my students. You know, I. I always talk about things that I don't know. Some sometimes people don't think about. Sometimes like having a good piece of having good paper and good pens. You know, like that that's important. You know, like yeah. if if I if you don't have good pens, then sometimes you writing actually is really annoying and a chore. If you don't like to like first, you've got to convince them to write by hand. Write by before hand, you can yeah. do that But but um, <laughs> but like I don't know. I think an old English teacher says it's like you know, get your work done early. Get it out of the way. Put it put it down yeah. as if you're done with it, and then come back to it a couple of days later. That's you know, true. The, the mistake students make, and you can see it, is
2: uh, doing everything at the last minute. Oh, of course, and then giving you a premature version of what they could Don't. do.
1: Yeah, students and and, and me. <laughs> and, and, and me. <laughs> I mean, I think so many people do that kind of stuff today. It's, you know, it's like I, I have to confess. You know, I, I started a few
2: years ago. I started seeing, as I'm sure you all, we've all seen, you know, people going up to the microphone with their phones and reading their poem and. And at first I thought, ha, you know, that's so a... But what I have noticed for myself lately is, uh, you know, the little notepad on your iPhone. Yeah, yeah. That's where I do a lot of my writing.
0: Good writing tool. Yeah. Uh,
2: I just, uh, you know, it's it's always there. I have it. I, it's, you know, I can, I can take
1: it out any time. I, I use it all the time. Don't have to
2: carry paper and pen. I do carry pen and paper, but I don't have to. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, but it is, I think it's slightly, a little bit changed uh, my. What I what I write and my composition sort of methods and everything? I dictate into that thing. See that I, I haven't gone that far. I can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't actually imagine doing that. But yeah, I mean, I have to I have to actually,
1: you know, type hit, it in. Hit the word. Yeah. out. yeah, yeah. But but more power to you if you can do that. Yeah. Well, again, going back to Stevens, you know, Stevens would do that. Stevens would Stevens would walk to work, go to a dictaphone. No, he would. He would. He would actually. He would actually like come up with poem concepts and things in his mind. In his mind, while he was like walking to work, and then he would get into work, and he would have his secretary. He would dictate them to his secretary, and she would type them up. Instead of sitting there with his portables. apparently, that's what he would do. Yeah. He would have it like in his mind, and he would rework the lines in his mind yeah. and stuff, yeah. and then oh, get there and be. And then he'd be like, okay. However, he did it. he'd Be like, okay. And then he would. He would say the poem to her, and she would just type it out. See, I do.
2: <laughs> I do exactly
1: that, except I don't have a secretary. So I mean, but if
2: I'm particularly if I'm lately if I'm walking my dog. A lot of things seem to come to me when I do that at night. and uh, So I might have three or four lines in my head, and I have to just kind of keep saying them so I don't forget them. But then there's no secretary when I get home. I have to, you have to do
0: have it to, yourself.
1: Yeah, find it. That's why I dictate, because I just, I just, if I have something that comes up real quick, I just, I just hoop that notepad, dictate it, boom, boom, boom.
0: Yeah, say that it
1: makes sense, especially if you're driving. Also, there's like I had this exercise with my friend who's been on the show a couple times, uh, Zena, and and we wrote a few poem. We wrote like three poems together um, while walking, and we uh, yeah. and we did it together. Where like I would say, a, and we used the we used the we used the we used the um, the dictate on the phone, and we we actually didn't edit it for what we said. We wanted to just let the mm-hmm. arbitrary mistakes come out and play with those because we kind of re- would remember what we said. And we let and, we, and I think that made the poem better actually, is that it heard it wrong and then we let it go. But we did this consistently, walking to and from here uh, and here and here and uh, another spot, and we would just walk and 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 we would just use this 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 process to. She would say a line, I would say a line, she would say a line, I would say a line, she would say a line. And we just would go back and forth and record it. And we, we we came up with some cool stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah. It's an I like interesting.
2: I like doing that. I've had some friends over the years that I did some collaborative writing with. We, we would trade pieces of paper, not the same thing you did, but, but similar. Yeah. But uh, but the other thing you said in there, I think, is is absolutely true. Uh, I mean, I, 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 mistakes can really help you. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the autocorrect kind of thing where it hears it wrong. <laughs> Is is one version, but uh, but I've had a number of times. I think I've had where uh, a mistake turned out to be better than what
0: I was going to do. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. A little
2: turns, serendipity. You know, but, uh, a lot of. I mean, you know, because so much of so much of poetry, back to poetry. You know, is you know, you think you're writing it, but in a way, it's writing itself. You know.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Is
2: writing it. Uh, something in the air is writing it. You're you know, you're the instrument, but you might not be really the author exactly. And uh, I think that's true of a lot of
0: poetry really. Yeah. So would you you know allow the other forces to act on it too. Yeah. It's gonna to be better that way. Yeah, yeah,
2: I mean that that idea of the poet as instrument I think is I don't know how new that is, but that that's one that I I uh, really sort of believe in.
0: Do you have another collection on the horizon? or? I do.
2: I, I have, uh, like I said, this, this one, this last book, which is you know, 80 pages and represents about 13 years of work. It's not much per year. If you divide 13 into 80, that's, that's a pitiful number. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I have a manuscript. I think I'm finished with it. It uh, feels like I'm finished. It's about maybe 65 pages, and uh, I'm just beginning to... Think about sending it out. Um, I have done some revision. I mean, you know, I'm a lot of, over the over the four years that I've been writing, and I guess I've revised a little bit, but I'm not as conscious of revising as I. I mean, I'll do it again. You know, technology has helped us. I guess maybe. I mean, you know, you, you can call it up
0: on a, on a file, and you can. See what has to be done. Easier to edit along the way. years ago, a few, ago, a few decades end, yeah. ago,
2: you had to retype the damn thing
0: every and, time. You yeah, know. which there's some advantages to that too. But yeah, it's different are, but, Yeah, but, but,
2: but you know, if you're lazy like me, you don't want to do that.
0: Definitely takes more time yeah. for sure. More, more effort. Well, you gotta let us know when that one comes out. All right, you can push that right. out as well. we'll uh Thank you so much for joining us. Today yeah, we appreciate you coming conversation in conversation and uh, poetry and
1: any other anything else on the horizon at all coming um, up.
2: Well, you know the New Orleans Poetry Festival, Bill and Megan's third uh, third annual
1: New Orleans Poetry Festival <laughs> is coming up. <laughs> is this going to be called uh, that now, Bill and Megan's. It's, and Megan four, it's and the fourth. By up. it's the fourth one, by the way. No, it's the third. It's the fourth. It's oh no, I think we have a disagreement here. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's the fourth because here's why I know that. Okay we had one what we had one in the we had one on Elysian fields at the spot that was i was there and that was like the little first mini one and yeah. now we've had we had two we've had two two at the healing, healing, center. healing center yep yeah. and this is the Last third year is the cuz we set up book tables both years and we did yeah. interviews both have,
0: years yeah we have yeah, okay this yeah. is four all right this is four right, I, right. Right. I know it's it goes fast <laughs> you're right but i've been at all of them so <laughs> yeah it's I should, four I should know that anyway that
1: that will be we'll have five in 2020 that's why it's cool
0: Easter weekend. It is Easter, Easter weekend. weekend yeah. Uh, so yeah, we will definitely be reminding everybody about that as it gets and closer. We'll, and we'll have them on for an episode. Yeah. Yeah. And the,
2: the next issue of Xavier Review, which is just about out, it's, it's at the printer right now. We'll get uh, page galleys pretty soon. And then the final thing, probably in January, uh, was guest edited by uh, Tom Bonner and Robin Vander. Uh, Tom is an emeritus professor and, and Robin is a professor at Xavier. And it's uh, the, it's uh, the entire issue is devoted to Jasmine Ward's uh, work, uh, ten essays, a number of reviews, you know, some other kinds of reactions, um, and uh, it'll be the first you know extensive sort of examination of her work. We started it before she won the second National Book Award uh, <laughs> for the for her novel, uh, and. And I think before she won the MacArthur Genius Award, so we were, you know, we were already doing this, and then suddenly she becomes, multiply more sort of famous and important than she was.
0: Good timing, I guess.
2: Yeah, really. And <laughs> that issue will be out in a few weeks, so uh, you know people should look for that.
0: Nice, nice, awesome. Yeah, that's a great, great, really important announcement.
1: Thanks for thanks for reminding everybody.
2: Yeah. yeah. Might be the first time it was announced, actually.
0: <laughs> hey, that's right. We're not that Fantastic. good at publicity. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys. I, I really, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, thank, try, you. thank you. And uh, listeners, we'll see you all again next week.